0: Welcome into the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you are joining us uh, this week for another episode. Uh, We are uh, currently in our series, The Coming King, the Lion of Judah. And uh, this is uh, session three, I believe, out of this um, particular series that we've been Mm -hmm. in. And it's been a a great series thus far as we're looking uh, to the events that are going to be leading up to the end of age, the end of time, and the return of Christ. And Um, I don't know about our listeners, Dad, but for me, uh, each day, um, I'm just more and more ready for Him to come on back. That's right. Uh, With all the things going on in our world and in our life, um, uh, I'm ready for Him to come any day. Mm -hmm. uh, Me too. just, Just as John prayed there at the end of Revelation uh, come Lord Jesus anytime. That's that's kind of the opinion that I stay in um, at this moment. So in our last episode, uh, we were looking at the rapture of the church, and uh, we've been using our football mentality, and we're going to continue with that today. Before we get into the content, though, I do want to uh, just encourage uh, all of you who are listening, if you have not taken the opportunity to subscribe to our episodes, we ask you to do that. You can uh, find our podcast pretty much where any anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, we're on pretty much every platform this out there. We do recommend that you subscribe through one of those platforms uh, because it's going to guarantee that you can get our content. We don't know what the future of social media is going to be and uh, how long we'll be able to continue doing what we're doing right now via social media platforms. And so um, we're we're hoping that uh, subscribing will give us an outlet that we can continue to get um, that out there. If you're a first-time listener, we want to welcome you and thank you for listening. We'd like to encourage you to, to listen in today and then go back and listen to a few more of our other episodes and uh, see what you think. And if you like, we'd encourage you to subscribe. And as always, we want to show our appreciation, our thanks to our longtime listeners um, who have been sticking with us for quite some time. We hope that this has been a blessing to you. Um, it's certainly been a blessing to to us, and uh, we, we look forward to it uh, each week, and uh, we hope you do as well. Uh, so, Dad, as I said, we covered on our last episode uh, the rapture of the church, and, and the analogy that we were given at that point was uh, we're still using this American football game, and right. a whistle blows at the beginning of that game, and we c- compared that to the trumpet blast and the voice and the shout that was going to come. That's right. And so if we're keeping in that analogy, this week we're going to be looking at the kickoff. Um, we're going to be looking at that event that starts the game. So in every football game, the very first play in every game is a kickoff. and mm-hmm. And so for the end times, the kickoff, um, we believe strongly, is going to come in terms of a peace agreement that's going to be mm-hmm. uh, inked, and the Bible gives some some details about that. And so we're gonna we're gonna jump into that today. It may seem odd that the Bible teaches that a peace agreement will actually trigger the seven year period that that is uh, you know described as the tribulation and ultimately right. the great tribulation. Mm-hmm. But in fact, that's that's what the Bible teaches, and you know, while we've always known wars and, and and desolations, the end of age will introduce a time of terrible suffering uh, that will end in the climax of Jesus's return. And again, all of that's going to begin with a brokered peace deal um, with Israel. And mm-hmm. so, you know, Dad, when we were talking, I believe it was on our last episode, or it may have been the one before, um, I was sharing the fact that uh, the interest in end times is at a historic high in terms right. of people looking online and Uh, trying to find out information. And most recently, uh, that spike was really driven by peace treaties um, because there was a flurry of peace treaties that came at kind of the the back end or the fourth quarter of 2020. Mm -hmm. And um, it had everyone wondering. And even for myself, when I saw that all of these different countries uh, that are the neighboring nations around Israel were lining up for peace, it was enough to make me take a double take, you know, to, to look and see. Uh, what was there? Um, I know you've been doing some research on on those peace treaties, and uh, we're going to talk about some of those. Uh, we've already hit them in, in an early episode, but we're going to talk about some of those uh, today. What I think the the most important point to put out there is is while these peace treaties do seem to, to sound like end times, mm-hmm. it doesn't actually fit the Bible prophecy uh, that we have, uh, you know, in, in our text today, and so we want to to uh, talk through that, that while it that seems very, very real and very here and now, it doesn't actually fit um, the definition of, of of what is provided in the Bible prophecy. Now, I will tell you, it seems very plausible that these agreements could be the very foundation or the boilerplate or the starting point for that future peace agreement, but it doesn't actually fit um, the details of, of mm-hmm. what uh, the Bible says about them. You know, as long as I can remember, though, Dad, there's been – Israel's been in the news. They've been talking about peace and war and uh, the troubles there, the Middle East, almost weekly for as long as I can uh, can remember, Mm -hmm. almost daily. And so when I heard that, you know, Israel's neighbors were lining up, I definitely took a second notice. And these peace agreements, you know, happened in rapid succession. They started with uh, the Israel um, and United Arab Emirates. Uh, normalization agreement, which is commonly referred to as the Abraham Accords in August. Mm -hmm. And then in rapid fire after that, we had uh, Sudan, we had Bahrain,
1: and Morocco also coming on. Yeah. You know, the signing of the Abraham Accords is a unique development in the history of Israel. For 30 years, from 1948 until 1978, not a single Middle Eastern nation made peace with Israel. It was not until... 1979, that Egypt made that historic move. It ultimately factored into the assassination of the courageous Egyptian leader Anwar Sadat, however. The next Middle Eastern and Muslim nation to make peace with Israel was the country of Jordan in 1995, 16 years later. Since then, Matt, not a single Islamic Middle Eastern nation has made peace with Israel. That is until now, 25 years later. And this is an amazing breakthrough in regards to peace and stability in the region and what is even more amazing is that this is the first time ever that two nations signed peace treaties with Israel on the same day it was predicted that other muslim countries would follow the lead of the united arab emirates and bahrain in normalizing relations with israel We saw that happen in December uh, 2020. I mean, just a month ago, Israel and Morocco agreed to normalize their relations and the Israel Morocco normalization agreement. And in January of this year, I mean, this month, Sudan signed the accords as part of this agreement. The United States agreed to remove Sudan from the list of state sponsors of terrorism lifting economic sanctions course, they've got a payoff for signing a peace treaty with Israel, seems like. In addition to Morocco and Sudan, other Middle Eastern and African countries are also believed to be close to making a peace deal with Israel. And if they do then that's going to put more pressure on the Palestinians to sit down at a negotiating table with Israel and finally make peace. Speaking of the Palestinian issue, Israel and the Abraham Accords made one concession in regard to the Palestinians, that they would suspend declaring sovereignty over areas of the disputed West Bank. Now, today... Uh, as we have been alluding to, some people see the signing of the Abraham Accords as an indication that the world is on the verge of the start of the seven-year of tribulation that the Bible says will come upon the world. But according to the prophet Daniel, in Daniel nine twenty-seven, a world ruler who the Bible refers to as the Antichrist, will one day come on the scene and sign a seven-year agreement or covenant with Israel. And this seven-year covenant will serve as the official kickoff, so to speak, of the seven years of tribulation in the Bible. And so what we're seeing here is just as you have alluded to earlier, I believe these peace treaties are alluding to Uh, The big peace treaty that Mm -hmm. the Bible predicts is going to take place, but this is going to be this big peace treaty is not going to be one that the United States brokers. It is going to be one that has been brokered by the Antichrist himself, who we believe will be leading the revised Roman Empire during that day. That's exactly right. So while it is amazing news,
0: uh, we don't want to downplay that. It definitely is is amazing news. It just doesn't quite fit uh, the exact prophecy that we we're going to dive into today regarding the peace treaty that's going to be the kickoff. And so um, we're going to go deep into this. And, and so I'm going to go ahead and encourage you, if you've got your Bible, if you'll open your Bible to the book of Daniel, that's where our scripture te- text is going to be coming from today. We'll be in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 9 and, and be looking at verse 27 And so if you've got that, read along with us. It says, then he, and if you write in your Bible, I'd like you to underline he there, uh, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. And so this is our, our scripture text for the day. This is the 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 prophet Daniel who is is writing, and and we're kind of coming in at the end of the prophecy. This is part of a larger prophecy, and so I want to make sure that we go back and we understand kind of the larger context of what we're we're dealing with here. So to bring you up to speed, uh, what we have here again is prophet the prophet Daniel, and uh, we see him starting in verse twenty that uh, Daniel was having his quiet time. Right, he right. was he was in a moment of prayer and worship. And at that time, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, Hey, Daniel, I want to tell you the plans God has for Israel. Mm -hmm. And he laid out for him um, a a plan that encompassed uh, a total of 70 years, Mm -hmm. or sorry, 70 weeks. And uh, now we refer to that as the 70 weeks of Daniel. And Daniel's prophecy foretells uh, that a period of 69 weeks Will begin on a particular day and it will end on a particular day. And then there will be a gap in time and then there will be the 70th week. And so what we must understand is that the 69 weeks in Daniel refer to a group of years. Um, you know, a week refers to actually a group of seven years. So in total, we're talking about. 483
1: years. That's 69 times 7. That's right. You know, uh, there are, you know, when we think about a week, we think about a week of days. But also, the Jews also uh, talked about a week being a week of years. And so Daniel here is thinking in terms of years. So 70 weeks is uh, 70 times 7. Now, Uh, from the command to return to Jerusalem until the street and wall of Jerusalem will be rebuilt. Daniel's told that that's going to take seven weeks, seven weeks of years, seven times seven is 49 years. And then there shall be 62 weeks, weeks of years, 62 times seven, 434 years, at the end of which the Messiah will die a violent death. He'll be cut off. Now, you add the 49 years, the amount of time, that Daniel was told it was going to take once the the Hebrews leave Babylon and go back to Israel and start beginning to rebuild the wall and the streets. That's going to be built in 49 years. You add those 49 years to the new count of the 434 years, that's 62 weeks of years. What you come up with is 483 years. And so, in other words, from the time Daniel receives this revelation and the people go back to Uh, Israel to start rebuilding Israel. There's going to be 483 years between that time uh, when Daniel's living and the time in which Jesus is crucified. Now, that's 69 weeks of years, 483 years. All right, the Bible predicts that in relation to God's working and dealings with uh, his chosen people, Israel. There's going to be seventy weeks of years. Now there is going to be a lull of time uh, between those uh, sixty-nine weeks of years, four hundred eighty-three years, and the beginning of the uh, seven years. Those final seven years. That seventieth week. There's going to be a. There's going to be a little break in time. Now the reason for this is that. This takes into account the church. You see, the church is a mystery, is a mystery. In the Old Testament, even in Daniel's time, he did not know anything about the prophesied church, about how God would build a church that would be made up of Jews and Gentiles. It was a mystery. Over in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 and following, listen to how Paul describes this. He says, "...how that by revelation..." Uh, He made known to me, in other words, God made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles... Should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me who am less than the least of all the saints. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all to see. What is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus? (laughs) The reason there's a gap between 69 weeks of years, that's 483 years, and the final seven years is that Daniel knew nothing about the church, which would be revealed after Jesus was cut off and the church would establish. Now we're living during the church age, and I'm here to tell you, When the rapture of the church takes place, like we talked about last week, and the church goes up in there, then we're going to have shortly after that, with the signing of this peace treaty Matt and I are talking about, we're going to have the beginning of God's dealing with Israel primarily once again because we are in the church age now. But when the church is raptured and taken up, it will not be the church age anymore. God will primarily return to dealing with Israel. Israel, And so this this information that the angel Gabriel gave Daniel over in Daniel chapter 9 had to do with God's specific dealing with Israel. That's why there's a gap between the 69th uh, week of weeks, the 483 years, and the final seven years. Now, I want to say something else to you, too. Not only do we live in the church age, but we live in the time of the Gentiles. Now, in Luke twenty-one twenty-four, Jesus spoke of the time of the Gentiles. He says, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. A similar phrase is found in Romans eleven twenty-five, which says, Paul writing, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, at the end of the church age, which will be the rapture, and near the end of the time of the Gentiles, The final week of of Daniel, 70 week of years, will start. That's right. And, you know, Dad, I want to back up for just a second. So we've we've talked about
0: 483 years, and and this is what I find amazing. And, and, you know, people who know this, uh, you may just kind of glance over it and go, yeah, that's another Bible prophecy. But I love to see Bible prophecy fulfilled. And so we know that Daniel was writing this around the mid-450s BC. Right. And so if you go forward 483 years, that puts you right in the Basically, uh, around twenty nine or thirty after, AD, yeah. AD after after Christ, and uh-huh. and so uh, that would be right when Jesus was starting his earthly ministry. Like it, it lines up perfectly, perfectly. Right. uh to 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 where it should and and that was written hundreds of years before that's right you know it, it's just amazing and and um i think that you know all of us know bible prophecy we believe and we have faith that this been fulfilled but it's it's so unique to go back and actually study this and look at the dates and see it line up Um, It's just amazing. And so uh, Daniel, according to Daniel's prophecy, again, we have 483 years. Those years have already been completed. Those are done. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking about, uh, we've got kind of this gap or parentheses uh, that that we're in right now, and that's what we're living in. The church age. The church age that we're living in right now. And then we have these seven years that are are still to be fulfilled. And that brings us to our text today that we're talking about. So when he refers to a week, that week, that's the 70th week of the 70-year period in and that's of the 70-week period, um, and that represents seven years. And as you said, Dad, that's going to be the uh, period of tribulation. And so we're going to continue to dive in deeper to the, to the prophecy here, and, and, and let's look at our scripture again. So again, I wanted you to underline something. Um, I said if you had your Bible, I want you to underline the he. It says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So the question is, who is the he? Well, if we look at the context of verse 26, the verse prior to that, we'll see that uh, the he is the prince who will come. So the prince who will come, and Dad, you've already kind of alluded to this in our intro. The prince uh, that is referred to here is the future Antichrist, and that is uh, the the one that Daniel describes as the little horn and the blasphemous king. So I want us to to look over, um, and we're going to flip back to chapter eight of Daniel, and we're going to look at verses twenty three through twenty six here. And so. I'm going to read this to you. And it says, In the latter time of of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall rise, having fierce features, who will understand sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully. He shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people through his cunning He shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evening and the mornings, which was uh, told, is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future." so uh, this one who is to come is the Antichrist um, and and Daniel we also see him I reference listen uh, referenced as the little horn and we talked about that in one of our, our previous episodes dad we we talked about the the figure that was seen with the ten toes we we believe that to represent the ten nations of the revised Roman Empire and out of that there's going to be kind of a key leader that's going to rise uh, and Daniel talked about that rising as a little horn and and that's in reference to the Antichrist. Now, we're going to be talking about the Antichrist and looking at at the Antichrist closer as we move through the study, but I just want to remind you and take a moment to to tell you who we're dealing with here. The Bible foretells that this prince that will come will rule the world, and he will be in direct opposition to Christ. We saw that in our scripture there in uh, chapter 8 of Daniel. He's going to be a mighty power. He's going to be a political genius. Uh, He will be a military master, and he will be a silver-tongued orator. And so being the key political figure Um, You know, of the time, he will have the authority and the ability to put it into the problems of the Middle East uh, with his covenant. So let's look closer now um, at this covenant. So we see there that he's going to form a covenant with many for one week. So the Antichrist will, will form a covenant to protect the Jews Uh, from their enemies. Now, Dad, I know many people were thinking, how is this going to occur, right? You just went through how long it had been Mm -hmm. since there, but any type of peace deals um, occurring with with Israel— And then we see this kind of flurry coming at the end of 2020. You you have to think, how is he going to be able to do this? Well, we know that he's going to have power, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We know that he's going to be a a deceitful person and that he's going to have, uh, it it talked about in chapter eight, he's going to be cunning. Um, But I really believe, and and I believe many people agree, and I think you've got some information on this, that most likely um, there's going to be some type of uh, military turmoil, battle, war that breaks out Mm -hmm. um, where... Israel's enemies turn, and they attack Israel, and then he's going to step in the scene and and wave his magic wand and say, I've got a solution to all this information. Can you share with the listeners some of the things that you have on, on that?
1: Right. Well, there's a, a big battle that is yet to come. It's going to happen in the future. I don't believe it's going to be long in the future. It's told about in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Uh, this is a future russian slash Islamic invasion of Israel. Now, many Bible scholars feel like this this Russian Islamic invasion of Israel. In other words, it would be Russia along with her satellite countries, countries that used to make up the former Soviet Union, especially in the lower belly of the former Soviet Union, uh, which are is mostly populated by Muslim people as well as other countries. Muslim countries around Israel, this battle many Bible scholars believe will take place after the signing of the peace treaty between the Antichrist and Israel. And of course, they they feel like that one reason for this is that over in Ezekiel 38 and 39, it is repeated that at the time the battle happens, Israel will be a nation that does not have walls or gates or 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 uh, fences etc be a nation that is resting at easy and peace and of course we know that that Israel's not necessarily resting in peace right now i mean uh, all adults this 18 years Of aging up. They're made to serve in the military for two years. They're on their toes of expectancy of a war that could break out at any time. There are uh, fences separating Israel from the militant side of the Palestinians that would like to do harm to the Jewish people. So they're not in peace right now. However, however, I do feel like with all of these peace agreements that have been made, like the Abraham Accord and with Sudan and Morocco and other nations, perhaps pretty soon uh, Saudi Arabia, a big Arab nation, uh, may be making peace with Israel pretty soon. It's going to uh, lighten the security issues for Israel when more and more people make peace with them. I f- personally feel like that this battle even though many prophecy experts feel like it's going to happen after the signing of the peace treaty, I think it very well fits in that it could take place before the signing of the peace treaty. Now Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 gives us the players, the people that's going to be involved in this attack of Israel one day. Israel, the Jews are back in their country. That hasn't happened for nine 1900 years until the last 70 years that the Jews have been home and returned to their homeland. And here are the nations that are going to rise up against the Jews. Uh, It's going to be led by a leader named Gog. He's going to be the leader of the invasion. And he will lead Magog. That represents the former underbelly Of the Soviet Union, the people in Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan. Uh, Magog was one of the sons of Japheth. Japheth was one of the sons of Noah. All these nations today are dominated by Islam. And of course, Rosh would be one of those nations uh, that Gog is going to be the leader of. Rosh, many people believe, refer to Russia. Meshach, another son of Japheth, another son of Japh, They originally. Uh, Mesheth lived in Asia Minor but were pushed northward to the area of the Black Sea. Tubal, that's people lived near the Black Sea. We're talking about uh, Muslim people here. Uh, that's going to be in a confederation with Russia. And they will be joined with the nation of uh, Iran, which is referred to as Persia in the Bible. Iran was known as Persia up until the last 100 years. It was known as Persia. Ethiopia, this is not the modern day Ethiopia, but Sudan, south of Egypt. Libya, we know that uh, the Libyans hate uh, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, it's a Muslim nation. Gomer and Tagarma. That refers to modern-day Turkey. So we've got, in Ezekiel 38, uh, a battle in which the Israelis are going to be facing mighty nations, that of Iran, Sudan, Libya, modern-day Turkey, uh, uh, Russia, the underbelly of of the former Soviet Union, you know, satellite countries of Russia today— You know that, or the Islamic countries. All of these countries, their their armies and their air force is going to come together at one time with evil intent to take Israel. Israel's a rich nation to come in and swoop down and take Israel. But the Bible tells us in Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine that God Himself is going to defeat Israel's enemies. He's going to cause a mighty earthquake like Israel has never experienced before. And then, of course, uh, the aftermath of the earthquake... Uh, we read about things over in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that makes us believe that there's going to be a nuclear exchange. No doubt because of the earthquake, these many nations that are converging from all sides on Israel will begin to fight one another. And the Bible says that there's going to be so many of these people to die that it's going to take seven months to bury their bodies and that their weapons of of warfare will be burned by the jews by israel for seven years and you think to yourself how can you burn a tank and retrieve any heat from burning the metal of a tank or burn a helicopter or burn a jet well you think about that tank that helicopter uh that all of those uh weapons of that's going to be used against them require fuel and so Israel will be able to harvest the fuel from these tanks and planes, etc., that is that has crashed uh, around them and be able to burn that for seven years, seven years, bringing us up to what's another seven, the seven years of the tribulation. So, this battle of Gog and Magog, this attack of Israel, uh, is going to take place, has to be just prior to or right after the kickoff of the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation, and the kickoff's going to be when the Antichrist signs his peace treaty. I believe that is quite possible, and I take exception with some of the other prophecy uh, teachers, but I believe that it's quite possible that this battle is going to happen just right after the rapture, prior to the peace treaty agreement between the antichrist and israel and the reason i say this is that think about it russia in the battle of Gog and Magog, is going to be defeated russia is a world power now already the united states currently is on the demise. It is going down. It is going to keep going down, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, and we're going to continue to falter and be weakened as a country. With the absence of Russia being defeated, with the United States not being too much of a player because of us being weakened, then that opens the door for another group of an amalgamation of countries, the EU, the, the European Union, to step in and take world power, take a place. Of world power and so they will step in after this there's going to be in my opinion a lot of sympathy for the Jews that have been attacked by all of these people and uh, there's going to be a fear among the Muslims because it is very evident that God did something to cause this earthquake and this Antichrist he's gonna step in he's gonna broker a peace agreement with the Jews And uh, the Muslim world, uh, having many of their countries been defeated, they're going to fall right in line. And uh, and I I just see how this is going to happen. There's going to be a, a power vacuum due to Russia being destroyed. And the EU, the European countries led by the Antichrist is going to fill that vacuum. And I think that is what's going to cause them to make the peace treaty with Israel because they are the world power and Israel is really going to fill at peace. Now, whether this battle of Gog and Magog, and you need to read Ezekiel 38, and 39, it tells about it after I've explained it, you'll be able to make sense of it. But uh, you need to read it. I really feel like it, it could possibly take place prior to the signing of the the uh, peace agreement, like I said, but even if it doesn't, it's going to happen at the beginning of the seven years of tribulation, either before or after this peace treaty is signed. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so it just makes sense that the, the turmoil and the, the that you describe there, it has to be in place in order for an agreement like this to come about. I believe it, so. I mean, it just it makes sense. So whether it's exactly that battle or there's some other type of military conflict that breaks out, it just makes sense that there's going to have to be kind of this. Uh, catastrophe um, or chaos type situation in order for um, the Antichrist really to, to take a to take a lead here, and mm-hmm. you know, be, be mindful. I said that he's going to be a political genius. He's going right. to be a military master, right? And and, and at start, he's not going to show his cards. I mean, he's not going to say, "Hey, I'm here to to be God," right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to be uh, deceiving everyone as he's just an everyday person, just like you and I, but he has all the answers, right? And uh, he's going to come riding in, uh, kind of on a white horse, if you will, and um, and, and save the day. And so... Uh, the scripture reference that the covenant will be with many and so Israel's enemies will agree to peace with Israel and you know a lot of that's going to be because the agreement is going to be between um, Israel and the Antichrist and so Mm -hmm. uh, for protection right and so these these countries are probably going to understand that hey you know this guy has got power he's got might Uh, you know they don't want to mess with him and so that's probably going to be one of the leading uh, factors to it is that they just don't want to be on his bad side Um, and they're going to enter into That agreement. You know, many people, Dad, also believe that uh, this agreement, this peace agreement, is going to allow for the temple in Jerusalem to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. And um, and that is something, another piece of prophecy that many people look to um, because we know that the temple has to be there. It mm-hmm. has to be built because it's in all other prophecy and all other scriptures that we see about the end times. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that happens with that temple. And so it would make sense to this time of peace and agreement that it's going to allow the the Jews to begin to rebuild the temple. Now, Dad, what I find amazing is how far along plans mm-hmm. are for this temple. Um, you know, I, I was watching and reading. I I watched a documentary on a, on a flight. Um, it's been probably a year ago or so. Obviously, it was before COVID. And um, the documentary was was about the Middle East and about Israel. And uh, they were going into great detail on that documentary about um, the plans for the temple. Uh, and to obviously they know what the temple looks like, the the, mm-hmm. the drawings, right? That's right. Uh, for construction, but there is already materials being put aside, uh, building materials, construction materials, and they're even already collecting all of the uh, sacred. Uh, I, I don't know what the right word to call them. We we'll call them trinkets, but you know things that are going to go into the temple, artwork and 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 uh, gold uh, chalice and all of these things. The that utensils. The utensils. To be used, yeah. yeah. All of that is being collected right now. There's clothing. Actually, clothing. Clothing. Yeah. There's actually a, a location, a donation location where you can go to in Israel and you can deliver if you've got some of these things that, that will go into uh, the temple. And so they are getting prepared and ready uh, for that to occur. And Dad, I know you've got some stuff on the, the temple as well that
1: you'd like to share with our listeners. Man, this is fascinating. Uh, temple fervor, has especially been on the increase since June the sixth, nineteen sixty-seven, when Jewish paratroopers took the Temple Mount over during the Six Day War. However, since that time, there is something that has kept the Jews from rebuilding their temple there, and that something is that the Temple Mount has two major Muslim structures sitting on it. One of the Muslim structures is the Dome of the Rock, and the uh, other is the Al Aqsa Mosque. Now, uh. The Dome of the Rock is believed by many to be built on the very ruins of the ancient Jewish temple. Now, the Dome Dome of the Rock is an Islamic shrine. It is not a mosque. It is a large octagonal structure that supports a dome, a golden dome over a rock, hence its name, Dome of the Rock. The rock, according to tradition, is the site where Abraham prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac and is the site that the Muslim Prophet Muhammad is said to have ascended to heaven and talked with Allah. Now, in addition to the Dome of the Rock, a second Muslim structure sitting on the Temple Mount is a Muslim mosque, which is Islam's third holiest site. Now, Muslims believe that the Prophet Muhammad was transported by a winged baby horse-like beast from the great mosque of Mecca uh, during the night Uh, to the very place where this mosque is built today on the temple mount and there the prophet muhammad after he was transported there is said to have led adam and other prophets who were resurrected from the dead in prayer now of course we know we don't believe that considering that the dome of the rock and the mosque this third holiest site of Islam, both sit on what the Jews consider to be the ancient temple mount, you can see that if the Jews destroyed either of these buildings to erect a new temple, that it would ignite a major war. The Muslims would declare a jihad or holy war against Israel. Now, this is what has kept the Jews from building the temple back. But is it possible that a Jewish temple can be uh, constructed on the Temple Mount without tearing down the Dome of the Rock and this third holiest site, the mosque? Well, in answer to this question, it is interesting to note that recent archaeological discoveries have made a good case for the theory that the main part of the Jewish temple, which included the holiest of holies, did not stand where the Dome of the Rock Or the mosque is located today. In other words, it is possible to build a Jewish temple on the exact spot where the previous Jewish temples stood without tearing down either of these two important Muslim sites. And of course, of the two sites, the Dome of the Rock, as I mentioned, is the structure that has been thought for many years to be actually built on top of the ashes of the previous two Jewish temples. Now, this theory that the main part of the Jewish temple did not stand where the Dome of the Rock is located, was put forth by Asher Kaufman, a crack archaeologist and professor at Jerusalem's Hebrew University. Through a study of the topography of the Temple Mount and the Scriptures, he came to the conclusion that the ancient temple was actually about 100 yards north, the length of a football field, north of the traditional hell location, the Dome of the Rock. Now, if he's right, the Dome of the Rock would not have to come down to build another Jewish temple, nor the mosque that is on the Temple Mount. It could be untouched. Now, another of the Muslim holy sites called the Dome of the Spirits is located where Kaufman says the former temples, Jewish temples, used to be located. And tearing it down to build a Jewish temple could arouse the anger of the Muslim world and start a war. But the destruction or the relocation of the Dome of the Spirits wouldn't incite... Muslims, near as much as the destruction of the Dome of the Rock. Now, Hal Lindsay, author of The Late Great Planet Earth, gives an interesting and logical interpretation of the passage of Scripture in Revelation that specifically mentions the tribulation temple that would be built in the future. Now, the passage is Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And in these verses, an angel gives John a rod. And I want you to listen to what the angel says. To John, he says, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles, and they shall tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Now, Lindsay said for years he wondered why God had put this passage in the Bible about measuring the temple of God, its altar, and those who worship there, and why it said not to measure the outer court of the temple because it was given to the Gentiles. But when he heard Dr. Kopman's theory of where the ancient temple used to be and went to the temple mount, he said it all began to come together. He realized that the Holy Spirit had anticipated the existence of the Dome of the Rock. And in these verses was prophetically previewing that the temple and the Dome of the Rock would both be on the Temple Mount at the same time. Lindsay said, had the Holy Spirit included in his measurements the outer temple court, it would have excluded the possibility of the Dome of the Rock's existence during the Tribulation. Now think about what this means. It means that the Jewish temple could be built at any time without the destruction of the Dome of the Rock or that very important mosque that also sits there now i believe that the construction of the temple will start after the rapture because it's after the rapture that the antichrist as you and i've been talking about matt will make a covenant with the jews guaranteeing their protect their protection and the jews will need some protection from their arab neighbors if all they do in the construction of the temple is tear down or move the dome of the spirits now you may think that the building of the temple will never happen but i want you to know as Matt clearly pointed out a while ago, the stage is being set right now as we speak. And I don't think it will be long in the future before the temple is built for several reasons. First of all, there's growing public support among the Jews to rebuild the temple. On February the 11th, 1996, the Temple Mount and Land of Israel Faithful Movement an Orthodox Jewish group that wants to rebuild the temple, hired the Gallup organization to survey Israeli attitudes regarding the rebuilding of the temple in our generation. The survey found that 58% of those polled, agreed that Israel should proceed with plans to rebuild the temple. And what is interesting is that the highest level of support was found among younger Israelis. Today, the younger Israelis back in 1996 that were in support of the rebuilding of the temple are now in their 40s, which means that they now wield far more influence over the government and businesses in Israel. A second reason for me to believe that the temple could be built at any time is because right now, rabbinical students in Israel who think they belong to the priestly line are studying up on the rituals that they will use when the sacrificial system and the new temple is reinstituted. As a matter of fact, this has been going on for years, and the television program 60 Minutes reported uh, in 1985— it reported that. Third, in Jerusalem, a research group under the heading of the Temple Institute, you refer to that, has already prepared all the priestly garments and the implements that will be needed for the temple worship and sacrificial ceremonies. They prepared all of them. Fourth, now this is something that I think is really interesting. The Ark of the Covenant is believed to have been found in and is in a secured place in Israel right now, waiting for the right time to be brought out. The story of the discovery of the Ark of the Covenant is a very interesting one. It is believed to have been taken to Ethiopia many years ago during the reign of King Solomon. King Solomon was visited by the Queen of Sheba several years after he placed the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. We know that Solomon was not averse to female companionship, marrying foreign women and having children by them. According to Ethiopian history, the queen of Sheba married King Solomon, and they produced a royal heir, Prince Menelik I, who grew up to have a strong faith in Jehovah. When the queen of Sheba died, Menelik, who was 19 at the time and was visiting his father, prepared to leave Jerusalem to return to his native country to become its king." Solomon ordered his craftsmen to create a perfect replica of the ark for his son to take to Ethiopia. The distance, 2,500 miles, would prevent the prince from ever again worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem. However, when it came time for Menelik to return to Ethiopia, Menelik and some of his associates switched the replica ark with a true ark. He did this because he was concerned with the growing apostasy of Israel and the fact that his father was allowing pagan idols to be placed in the temple to please his pagan wives. The switch was made when Solomon gave the prince a going-away party, and after the priests were filled with wine. His intention was to take the ark to Ethiopia for safekeeping until Israel repented of its idol worship. unfortunately in the course of the last 3,000 years, Israel has never returned to the laws of Scripture and had a succession of mostly evil kings. Today, the descendants of Menelik I and his Jewish priests, advisors, and servants are known as Falasha Jews. The prophet Zephaniah in Zephaniah 310 predicted that in the last days, the Jews the Jews of Ethiopia would return to Israel, and over the last 50 years, thousands have return to Israel in fulfillment of this prophecy. It has been reported that not many years ago an elite team of Israeli special forces flew an unmarked cargo plane into Ethiopia and secretly removed the Ark from its underground treasury beneath the church of St. Mary of Zion, replacing it with a copy. Now, whether this is so, I can't say for sure. But today, many Orthodox rabbis believe that the Ark is now back in Israel in a secret vault until God gives the signal to rebuild the temple. Now, in regard to the whereabouts of the Ark of the Covenant, others think that the Ark is sealed in a Qumran cave near the Dead Sea. And some think it is hidden behind an ancient man-made stone wall of a cistern beneath Jerusalem's Temple Mount. One thing for sure in regard to the Ark of the Covenant, it has not been destroyed. I personally believe that the Jews made several replicas of the Ark of the Covenant years and years ago and hid them, and that one of these replicas that was made and hidden thousands of years ago has been found and will be used in the Tribulation Temple. I don't think that for one moment that God would allow the Antichrist to desecrate The original. The reason that the Jews today are anxiously preparing for the rebuilding of the temple and the reinstitution of animal sacrifices have to do with their belief that doing this is an essential element in the Messiah's coming. In other words, the building will bring the king. The Jews are looking for a Savior. The tragedy is the Savior has already come in Jesus Christ and they won't receive Him. This new temple that is going to be built at the start of the tribulation that the Jews will worship in is going to be an apostate place of worship. For you see, since Jesus has died on the cross... There is no more need for any more animal sacrifices. The sacrifices that were done in the Old Testament temple before Jesus' death on the cross was, in a sense, God's passion play, dramatizing to the Jewish people that the Messiah would come as a sinless substitute and take upon himself man's sins and bear the divine judgment for man's sin's death. I feel sorry, Matt, for the Jews today who are blind who Jesus is. That's exactly right. It's it's these spiritually blind
0: Jewish leaders— uh, who are going to be ignorant of their own scriptures that will gladly enter into the covenant with the Antichrist. Jesus told the Jewish leaders of his day that I come in my father's name and you don't receive me, but if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. That's John five forty three, and that really seems to be what what's going to play out. You know, Dad, it's sad to think that the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, will turn their back On God yet again. right? He's taking care of them for so long, and they're going to turn and they're going to seek refuge and protection from the Antichrist. But our scripture tells us that's not where the story ends, of course. Um, We learn that at about the three and a half year point, which is the midpoint of the tribulation, uh, that the Antichrist will actually break his covenant, and he will seize the temple, and he will put his own image there, and he will force the world to worship him You know, up until that point, the Antichrist will have deceived everyone uh, as he was just playing a political game, a a shrewd scheme, if you will. And then at that point, he will reveal himself as a tool of Satan and uh, the cruel world dictator at that point. So, uh, you know, Dad, as we get ready to close um, this episode, I want to put this into perspective, right? I want to help our listeners because we've shared a lot of information. And um, so just to to summarize what we're talking about, we've had three episodes up to this point. We've talked about the pregame activity, the things that were going to be happening, um, if you will, the pieces kind of aligning. And that was the nation of Israel becoming its own nation. That was, uh, we believe, the the EU or the European Union uh, coming together and beginning to form relationships again. Those were kind of those things that were leading up. We talked about the whistleblow, which we believe is going to be the rapture of the church. And then the kickoff. Uh, is this signing of a peace treaty uh, between Israel and the Antichrist, and we've shared all of this information with you today. So that's that's kind of the sequence of events that we are right now. Now, I will tell you, again, we've shared a lot of information, and I want to speak from my perspective. I'm not a trained minister. Uh, Dad, you've been studying the Bible for all, all your life and mm. seminary trained, and, and so this is very, very heavy stuff. Um, but I think it's important for us to know, and I've actually, as I've dived into it, I'll be honest with with you. I've avoided uh, Book of Daniel and and Revelation and, and different things for some time just because it was so complicated. But it's important for us to know as believers so that we understand the events that are going to come up, and more importantly, so that we can speak to people of different faiths, uh, right? We, we have Muslim people that live in our communities. We have uh, Jewish people that live in our communities, and those people need to be reached for Christ. And it really helps you to have an understanding of how all this plays out in order so that you can have a good, informed uh, conversation with them. And so that's why it's important. So I'd encourage you to—this to, episode you may have to listen to twice. You may have to— put Pull out your Bible and read uh, the Book of Daniel and read through Ezekiel a couple times in order to understand this. But I would encourage you to read and to study and to pray and ask God to help you understand it, because it is heavy material. But it's very important that we understand uh, what we're talking about today, Tim. Would you exactly agree? Right.
1: I exactly agree with you. You know this covenant that the Jews are going to make with the person we know of as the Antichrist. Of course, they're not going to see him as an Antichrist because he's a deceiver. You know, he's going to break that covenant, you said, after three and a half years. Well, there's an interesting scripture over in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 15, and I think it has something to do with this covenant, this agreement that the Jews are going to make with the man we know of as the Antichrist. After three and a half years, they'll realize, ooh, we made a mistake. And this is what that verse says. It says... The Jews will say, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we're in an agreement. They're going to realize that they made a covenant with a wrong man after three and a half years. We're going to tell you what's going to take place uh, at the mid part of the tribulation but you got to wait to hear that that's exactly right
0: so we encourage you to continue to listen in to these uh, episodes as we go through the coming king the Lion of Judah uh, podcast series uh, join us again next week and we'll be diving in a little bit deeper I encourage you uh, to do some studying of your own uh, because again this is heavy material it, it, it's, I spent a lot of time reading and studying myself to try and get to a position where we could talk about it today and so um, it's just going to take some time so I'd encourage you to do that well, um, I, I won't end the episode without saying what we've said in all the other episodes. Uh, we believe, strongly believe, that uh, Jesus could come back at any day now. And That's right. so the most important point of this entire series is uh, for you to be ready uh, to uh, for Jesus' return. And so if you're a believer— Great. You need to be living for Christ. You need to be uh, living for him each and every day and doing your your part to to spread the gospel uh, to other people. And if you are not a Christian, uh, today is the day of salvation. We would encourage you to give your life to, to Christ and to come to Christ um, so that when he returns, uh, you will be uh, joining us in the air as brothers and sisters in Christ as we go to live with him forevermore. Dad, will you pray us out of here? Sure.
1: Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you that you've given Matt and I the opportunity to talk about the things that were predicted in the Scripture to take place in the future, and we don't believe it's going to be long. Lord, that's exciting for us because uh, we may be in the generation that uh, is on earth when Jesus splits the sky and comes back for his children to rapture the church. Oh, perhaps many, many uh, Christians through the years have longed to have been in that generation, the generation we may get to be a part of that gets to be caught up in heaven to miss death and to be caught up in the air to go and be with Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you. I pray, O God, that if there are those that are listening today to this podcast that do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, help them to see these signs. Help them to understand that the Bible is being fulfilled. Help them, Lord, to put their faith in Jesus and to turn from their sin, accept him as their Messiah, and accept him as the Savior of their soul. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.